And what's exciting to me about this field is we are just so prolific in our search yeah. for successful practices mm -hmm. that we That's are true. changing. And with the media and with mm -hmm. kids being able to use media and us being able to communicate to distant resources via media, yeah. um, there's a lot that goes on every year that mm -hmm. we have to keep up with. And if we're not keeping up, yeah. we're getting behind. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. If you're an individual wanting to improve progress for students who are blind or visually impaired, you will want to listen to this podcast. Nancy Tell is joining us to share information about QPVI. So before we get too far into QPVI, which is of course today's topic, can you describe your own professional path in our field? I have no idea what I'm doing in this field. I started out just wanting to be a teacher and uh, Natalie Berica got a hold of me. I mean, she was sitting on the desk the day I came up. You know, she was taking all the students who came in and yeah. trying to get them all to become VI teachers, which in my case, uh, she did successfully. Wow. So it just turned out, I mean, I've been doing, did it for 46 years. Wow. Happily. Mm -hmm. And so it was just an accident as far as I was concerned, because I was really interested in children who were deaf okay. and hard of hearing, and I had not really worked a, with a blind child. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> and sure enough, it was interesting. <laughs> and then it, eventually you did get into itinerant work, though, right? I did. I was here for a couple years and loved it. My mm -hmm. second grade class, I had eight kids and they were just adorable. And my, mm -hmm. the teacher I had student taught under, Eddie Langdon, was just an amazing mm -hmm. practitioner, first grade teacher. So she was the teacher I student taught under. And then I became the teacher after her. Mm -hmm. So I got her kids, which had been my kids. Yeah. And it was just a, a fabulous setup. And, and uh, I should have stayed. Mm -hmm. uh, but I got married and moved to Kansas City. Oh. Can I say like an idiot? Yeah, so, like you can an idiot. say that. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. And soon it turned <laughs> yeah. out that I wanted to be back in Texas. Okay. And so I moved back to Corpus Christi, which mm -hmm. is where I grew up, and that's they had an opening as a for a middle school teacher of the visually impaired. Oh, really? Yes. And so I took that job and just what a shock. Yeah. That's really how QP got started because nobody knew what a visually impaired child should be doing, a child yeah. with a visual impairment or blindness. And my whole time I kept explaining to people, she can read, yes, she can do math. She, yeah. I, I had a gifted student, one of my first students was a gifted child. Oh wow. So that put a different spin on it. So that's, uh, anyway, that was my path into a teacher of the visually impaired. and when our state started the regional service center minimum component for the visually impaired at a service center, mm -hmm. I ended up in at Region 20 in San Antonio as the okay. first VI 
person, so that put me in the service center. Wow, you were the first VI person at Region 20? 20 in San Antonio. Wow. And uh, we covered 14 counties. Yeah. And so, man, that opened my eyes. That was a statewide thing. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, we came full circle, the School for the Blind Outreach took on QPVI, which I had started as a teacher in okay. Corpus. Mm -hmm. And then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because people just needed to know what are the basics about educating blind and visually impaired kids and kids with additional disabilities. Before I had moved to Texas, I had heard of QPVI. I'm sure there's not a lot of people that work in the United States in our field that haven't heard of it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really understand it or know what all it entailed because I had never jumped into the process. So um, can you give us sort of a broad description of QPVI and what does QPVI even stand for? Okay, there we go. I just, yeah, I was wondering how, how I could work that in. Well, it's quality programs for students with visual impairments. Okay. And one of our first trainees at the School for the Blind wanted me very much to call the facilitators QP dolls, and I told him <laughs> I absolutely was opposed to that. Um, so we don't have, you know, QP facilitators or whatever the current term is. But um, so it, it is a, a process to help schools, mm -hmm. public schools and schools for the blind, review their services to students mm -hmm. and make sure that every student is getting a good uh, uh, service mm -hmm. based on a good evaluation okay. and adequate services, adequate mm -hmm. amount of service, adequate the right type of service, whether it be direct service or consultation to the program, and that it be an adequate amount so that the child is making progress. Mm -hmm. So if you have a child that's not making progress, QP is a great way to help you look at that child. Yeah. So the end result is the child. Yeah. Not what the teacher's doing, because mm -hmm. if they're if the child isn't doing well, then whatever the teacher's doing, we need to fix that and help them, because mm -hmm. typically they are just overworked. Yeah, those teachers. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it sounds like you base the success of the QPVI process on the individual student level. So even though QPVI looks at the whole district or the whole um, program for all the kids, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you judge the success on the process based on the kids and their own individual right. growth. Success. And success. That's so cool. for every population, for every subpopulation within the schools, like children with deaf blindness, yeah. children who are blind with severe multiple disabilities, uh -huh. children who have uh, low vision. Yeah. It's a different world for every subpopulation. Yeah. You don't do the same things. Yeah. But whatever it is you need to do, mm -hmm. you need to do that thing. Yeah. And what's exciting to me about this field is we are just so prolific in our, our search yeah. for successful practices mm -hmm. that we That's are true. changing and with the media and with mm -hmm. kids being able to use media and us being able to communicate 
to distant resources via media. Yeah. Um, there's a lot that goes on every year that mm -hmm. we have to keep up with. And if we're not keeping up, yeah. we're getting behind. I know personally as a newer TVI, it was challenging to sort of advocate for my kids and with the district and 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 to really be heard. So how did you sort of initiate that conversation or about, you know, hey, things aren't working, let's develop a process for looking at that. I mean You know, I had a co worker, Francis Stetson. Mm-hmm. Dr. Francis Stetson now, who was an amazing practitioner, both in the area of visual impairment, and she was an actor, mm -hmm. like a community theater actor. Oh, okay. And she was teaching the elementary program when I was teaching the secondary. And when I went to her and I said, you know, boo-hoo, I'm, I'm not getting teachers to do, you know, what that I want them to do. Well, she in her dramatic way, gave me some strategies to yeah. use with teachers. So I, I've got a little kid sitting in the classroom and the teacher sends him back yeah. to me five minutes into class. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to take that kid back down there and say, what did he do wrong? I know he must have done something wrong to get kicked out and he's in a lot of trouble and he's gonna stay in here <laughs> until he, you know, until hell yeah. freezes over. <laughs> So she was really helpful in giving me some some assertiveness oh. strategies wow. for how to make sure that I put my students first and that yeah. teachers put my kids. Mm -hmm. They they don't they didn't have to put them first, but they had to be in the in yeah. the crowd anyway. Yeah. So and then with administrators, I just followed her lead. I said, well, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, and this is how we do it. And they said, okay. You know, so it was very, very helpful. Plus the fact that I had had years here, yeah, and my university training mm -hmm. was was good. Mm -hmm. So I had the confidence of that behind me. Yeah, and then I just didn't see an alternative. It was just you know I was either going to step up or step out. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really great that you mm. took it and put such a positive spin on it. That's still being implemented. Well, my, a lot of my generation did that, mm -hmm. you know. There's Jane Aaron and Ann Corn, yeah. and, you know, uh, we just had to do something. Yeah. Or, or quit. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people did that. Now y'all are in a, a kind of a different phase now where you've got all these, mm -hmm. you've got more teachers now. Yeah. So it's a question of how do you get to those teachers and how do you get them yeah. understanding that just showing up is not enough. Mm -hmm. the, the ECC is the big deal as far as I'm concerned mm -hmm. and being able to do a, a really valid assessment across all areas yeah. of the functional LMA, expanded core, O&M, and then basing your instruction on that and having the kid progress. Well, since I've been to officially one QPPI <laughs> training so far. <laughs> and I've been to roughly a million. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Um, I know that there are key components within yes, it. Yes. So um, can you explain what those are? Yes. The first time I did QP as an actual process, aside from being out as a teacher myself, mm -hmm. I was in, re in Region 20 doing it in Northside School District, which had lost their TVIs mm -hmm. and had teachers in training. 
and so th and they had a very high population of very bright blind students. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I think Cyril was one of the teachers that came along soon after that. Cyril and Deborah, Deborah left, mm. so they got the best teachers eventually. But <laughs> yeah. there was a period of time when they didn't have them, and they were just like, "What the heck are we going to do?" So the parents don't sue us. And so anyway, they, they came to Region 20 and talked to my mm -hmm. boss and she said, well, what do you think? Can you go in there? And I said, well, I've got this process I've been working on. Yeah. I, I'll just present it as a done mm -hmm. deal. So <laughs> that's great. I had like step half done. <laughs> anyway, so that's how it got started. And I, I, we, we would have our meetings. We would talk about what the problem was. And then I would run away and mm -hmm. figure out, well, what the heck are we going to do about that? Yeah. And come back with these forms and say, oh, here are the forms that we used for that. Mm -hmm. And it was all just totally by the seat of my pants. And except the supervisor and I were working the north side supervisor. So anyway, the key components are the things you look at. Okay. And the first thing we did was, I'm looking in my guide, is a master list of students. Okay. So who are your kids? Right. Right? That's important to know. <laughs> and most of them didn't have a list. Yeah, yeah. And when we put together the list, I'm seeing 2020 here, 2030 as oh, okay. and like, oh, uh, there's a little bit of... Uh, difference of opinion as to what a visual impairment might be. <laughs> yeah. So the very first few years we started it, at least 10% of the kids on any caseload were not visually impaired. Interesting. So if we could get rid of that 10% and go looking for the kids who really were visually impaired, yeah. then that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so on the master list, we'd say, well, does he have a functional? Does he have an eye report? Does he have an... I think we were doing LMAs at that point. You look at 10 fields of information that were critical, eye condition, do you have a current eye report? And you were missing half of them. Yeah. That was a little red flag, right. you know, that we don't really know enough about this kid to be making informed mm -hmm. decisions. So the first thing is, do we have all the information we need on every kid, and is it good information? Yeah. So that was the first thing we did. And then the next key component was determining eligibility. Mm -hmm. So. In the state of Texas, you had to have an eye report and a functional, mm -hmm. and the functional had to say if, if it was low vision or blindness mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. And then eventually we had uh, uh, learning media. Is a child a Braille reader or not? Okay. And uh, it was a while before we got the O&M, but for mm -hmm. a lot of places they had O&M. So anyway, how do you do a functional? Yeah. How do you do an LMA? Mm -hmm. Do you have somebody doing a good... Oh, and Emma Bell. Mm -hmm. That sounds easy. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. That was not that <laughs> any theory. Yes, right. So then it is we started establishing standards of practice. Okay. Anyway, as part of that. Mm -hmm. So everybody learned to do a good functional for a, a baby. Yeah. Uh, you know, a high schooler, mm -hmm. a child with low vision. Mm -hmm. uh, we would even do one for a child with just light perception. Yeah. You know, let's see if this kid has anything. Right. You know, let's not just say he's a braille reader. We don't have to do one. Right. So anyway, okay, so that was key component two, key component three. So then we've got these kids. What is my role? Yeah. For each child. 
right. and my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure I'm doing what I need to be doing, but I don't want to take over <laughs> like going in. I'll never forget going in this little second grader who really could see very well, but acted like he might be really dyslexic. Yeah. And the teacher wanted me to become his reading teacher. Oh, yeah. And if I hadn't had the nerve to stick up for myself, yeah. I might have done that. Mm -hmm. And I see teachers doing that. Yeah. So you need to be able to say, this is not a visual impairment, mm -hmm. or this is something I need to talk to his reading teacher about, or we need to get him reading. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, what is my role for each child? Mm -hmm. And then uh, the unique needs of students, that's the ECC. Mm -hmm. So are we assessing? the kids in all nine areas of the expanded core curriculum. Yeah. And luckily in the state of Texas now we have a law that says we have to do that. Yeah, yeah. that's great. We're really excited about it. And we heard that maybe California is is trying to put forth a law mm. to do that. Yeah. I'm not sure where else they do. But um, yeah. this is it. This is the big banana. Right. You know, all nine areas. So tons of resources mm -hmm. every, you know for every different subpopulation where are those resources do we know how to use them do the teachers have access to them yeah once they decide the kid needs to learn how to do traveling outside off the school yeah. do they have are they given access to mm -hmm. that etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah. that's uh, unique needs and then uh, type and amount of service. So once we look at all that, then mm -hmm. we're looking at what type of service is best for the child. Do they need direct or uh, consult? And mm -hmm. how much do they need? You're either serving this child appropriately, child one appropriately, and children two through 52, <laughs> not yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. So we ran head on into what's the problem with not having enough teachers. Mm -hmm. And luckily, there were all kinds of initi initiatives to increase the numbers of teachers all yeah. over this all over the country. Mm -hmm. Certainly in Texas, we had, I don't know, five or six different strategies for how yeah. to get more teachers out there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, do you have enough now? <laughs> I, I, you know, I hear both sides of that. Mm -hmm. I. I I hear that we have enough, but that there's fear of a lot of pending retirements, and um, that's an ongoing. I hear a lot from other states, though, that are very desperate and and really struggling. And I think you know the point you made about um, student services depending on caseloads is something that we all struggle with because we know that we should never base a student services based on the availability of a provider. Right. However, in the real world of working for a district and having administrators that are trying to make all the puzzle pieces fit, that's not always the case. So it's I think it's nice to have tools like QPVI to bring in and, and and say this is what the student needs, this is what we can provide given our current staffing and um, it's it's that real data that speaks to people that don't know what we do. Mm -hmm. But Oh well it's totally data based. Yeah. So you have the data. When you have the data you can at least say this yeah. is what the data yeah. are saying. 
and and then the, the, it's the ball's in their court, mm -hmm. you know. So what are you doing to get more teachers? Or right. What are you getting to get doing to get more teacher time? The thing that I hate to see is the teacher who feels helpless and yeah. hopeless mm -hmm. and quits. Me too. And so we're trying to give that teacher um, some avenues. Uh, to move their argument forward. Yeah. And that's why we love to have the service center involved mm -hmm. and TSBBI mm -hmm. involved because they are two really uh, well-respected yeah. sources. Yeah. All right, so let's see. Oh, the ne next one is staff and caseload. So based okay. on your master list, yeah. and we've gone through, we pick a sample of students, so like one totally blind high schooler, and, and we go through as we're going through the process and we evaluate those kids, and then we apply that kind of generally mm -hmm. to the whole uh, caseload just to get an idea of how much service is needed and then how many staff people we feel we need to do that. Mm -hmm. And we present that at that point yeah. to administration mm -hmm. and uh, we see if, if, we, if there are any options for... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's as much as re-allocating re, uh, uh, caseloads. Yeah. I mean, I've been in districts where a teacher had one child in a classroom all day long mm -hmm. and another teacher had 35. Yeah. So, you know, that was not fair right. or right. Yeah. And so when you split that up, yeah. it makes much more sense. Right. So it's not always more staff. Sometimes it's reallocation of staff. Yeah. So anyway, that's it. Then we develop a final report and we say, well, we recommend this, 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 and this. Yeah. But everybody knows by the time you get to that point what you're going to say because we've been saying it for months and months. Are you are are people ever asked to come into school board meetings and share final reports or to a bigger group of administrators? Does that happen in districts sometimes? Uh, well, when you're working in a district, you're always or almost always probably should be always working with a, the supervisor of the program okay and that person does frequently take the report to yeah. the to the board and say this is the data we have mm -hmm. sometimes that happens just in a special ed with a special ed director sometimes that goes to the superintendent it kind of depends on the politics mm -hmm. of a of a district okay uh, the small little districts are easier than giant districts yeah. <laughs> Just to imagine. navigate the organizational chart is yes, easier in a smaller exactly. district. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I know that you've done QB, QPFI trainings all around the country. Um, what did those consist of when you go out? Like, is, was it a really, like, was it a week long? Were you able to go in and sort of show the process in a s shorter amount of time? Or mm -hmm. So I worked a lot, like, say, in Kentucky. Okay. out of the Kentucky School for the mm -hmm. Blind. And they didn't have outreach staff at the time. I don't okay. know if they do now, but they brought in teachers from different parts of the state and trained them, and then they went out and into each other's districts because you're not oh, supposed to do your idea. own. Yeah, it was a great idea. And they paid them. I think they yeah. had a grant. Uh, ooh, I can't remember who the grant was by, but... Um, so they paid the teachers mm -hmm. to do that, which was really great. And we did that for several, for several years. Yeah. And uh, so that was Kentucky. So every state 
was different, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sometimes the School for the Blind was driving the bus and sometimes uh, a statewide vision consultant was doing mm -hmm. it. So it's been done all different kind of ways and I'm always interested in seeing what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And pretty typically it takes a champion. Yeah. There has I would to be a champion so. in a state. And if there's a champion that is uh, powerful, mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. And if there's a champion who gets overwhelmed, yeah. which it's easy to do because it is a pain in the neck process. Yeah. It's it's very complicated. But man, when it works, yeah, it's like worth a million bucks. Well, and it seems like the more buy-in you get from the group, the less complicated it is because you're all working as a team and it's exciting and you're moving forward. But if you're pulling pigs through mud, yes. so to speak. Gosh, I like that phrase. Yeah, that does apply. That does apply. And actually, I learned several years into the process that the pulling pigs through mud actually doesn't work. No. Yeah. I can't you can't imagine. do that. So really when I tell people if you're just trained and you're doing your first QP site, pick a small yeah. district where you've got enthusiastic people. Mm -hmm. And it works like a house of fire. Yeah. And it just takes a, a lot of backing yeah. by administration. The, like the special ed director, the supervisor has to be, because the supervisor co-facilitates with uh, the QP facilitator from outside the district, and that would be either a, a TSBBI person mm -hmm. or a service center person or both, hopefully, mm -hmm. yeah. would be great. So since you've retired, um, is there anyone else that's offering QPVI trainings around the country? Yes, very luckily, uh, one of the people that worked with me really extensively, <laughs> she was a state vision consultant in Iowa okay. when I first met her, and she heard me speak somewhere and decided every teacher in the state of Iowa was going to go through <laughs> QP. That's great. Yeah, when she told me that, I thought, okay, this person should not... Should, should not be allowed loose on the population. <laughs> but she actually did it. And um, we did it together. And we got to be really good friends. Okay. And she got to be like a killer QP person. Oh. I mean, she's very bright. She's one of those people that takes every little thing, piece of law yeah. or process or new teaching idea or new media and pulls it all together. Wow. And so when she left Iowa, she went back to Vanderbilt where she graduated. Okay. And she was a professor there for several years. And uh, um, so she's now at the Tennessee School for the Blind. Okay. And uh, um, she really doesn't have a lot of time to do QP, but when she retires, I'm ho hoping. <laughs> yeah. Is so this Karen? Karen Blankenship. Yeah, sorry. Dr. Blankenship. So, yeah. So she has agreed. Mm -hmm. I asked her when I retired, I said, if somebody else wants to do this, since my sister won't do it, uh, who's also a great facilitator, we'll get her <laughs> um, would you do that? And then Cyril here. Cyril's yeah. fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited that they continue to do, do it here in the state of Texas. But outside of Texas, that would be Karen. Mm -hmm. In Florida, there are 
so many trained people. <laughs> so there are you several bet. people around the country. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is interested, they can either contact Karen or contact me. Yeah. So where are some, um, where's the best place to get information about QPVI? Well, I have a website still, QPVI.com, okay. uh, which I tried to log on to today and it said it's not, it's not accessible. So <laughs> I have to contact my webmaster, okay. who's my son. Yes, and, um, perfect kind of webmaster. Yes, right, and pl plead with him uh -huh. to take time from his work to work on, on my uh, uh website for nothing yeah <laughs> and uh, but I'm very excited that the school for the blind has mm -hmm. a process in place to create a live binder mm -hmm. that's going to accompany their training and have oh man it already has some amazing resources so my last question for us is just do you have any um, recommendations to someone that's thinking about doing this in their district or their program or any final last words that you really want them to know about QPVI? Well, I will say it has frequently been one teacher mm -hmm. that makes it happen mm -hmm. in their district. So if you are a one teacher and you want to see your program improve, even if you think your program is really good, yeah, uh, then I would say go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but be aware you are going to have to change what you do. Yeah. So being open to change mm -hmm. is scary. Mm -hmm. And uh, working collaboratively can be scary for a teacher who's been on, on their own. Yeah. Um, but I would say, um, you know, for me, the big thing is this is for the kids. Yeah. So if you want your kids to do well and you really feel like, you know, you've got a kid in the public schools who's making C's mm -hmm. and should be making A's mm -hmm. and B's, then you've got a kid who needs, their program needs to improve. Yeah. And how is that going to happen? Mm -hmm. And I get questions for lots of teachers saying they don't know how to evaluate. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to test children. Yeah. And then they don't know what to do with the results once they've got them. Mm -hmm. So QP is supposed to take care of that. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say individual teachers, contact a person in your state or region and ask your questions. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Interestingly enough, Nancy's sister, Chrissy, works for TSBVI Outreach. Chrissy joins us to share her perspective on QPVI as a provider and facilitator. My name is Chrissy Cowan and I am the mentor coordinator with the TSBVI Outreach Program. You're Nancy's sister, so tell us how Nancy convinced you to start doing QPVI. She started really by having me um, do pieces of QPVI. So for the resources that were being used in some of those key components she talked about, like type and amount of service or caseload or the role, um, scheduling kids, um, those little pieces 
Um, Nancy would, would ask me to, to write them or use some of what I had written before and then she would put them in place um, in the different key components. You currently facilitate QPVI through outreach. Mm -hmm. How do programs reach out to us and request um, a QPVI training? I might get a call from a teacher usually um, uh, about their caseload size and could we do QPVI to kind of fix that and you know I explained to them well actually it's it's this process and the caseload size you get to that but it, you don't start with that um, there's some steps you need to go through and here's the process so um, you know we get calls just with general ideas and they're interested and I um, talk to them about what kind of support might be available in their district before we decide to kind of move forward with it. So earlier when we were visiting you mentioned that the when you go out and work with a district through QPVI um, that it's not a training when you're out there working with a team and more of a facilitation. Can you explain why that is? Well, you, you, you're, you're talking about a lot of change and you really want, the best change is going to be when it's the person's, has the person's input and it's their idea. And I may stand before somebody and, and think I really want them to fix this, the way they do their functional vision evaluation, but that's not as meaningful um, as if they come to the conclusion that their process for whatever it is, in this case writing a report, mm -hmm. um, needs some work and they work at it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, they have buy-in that way and they, they have researched you know, the process involves researching what what resources are out there to help you do that. And so um, there's this whole process involved um, for that change to happen. And they, they end up with a product that they created mm -hmm. a, or a document that they created. And so they feel enormously productive in the process and proud at the finished product. It's yeah. theirs, it's not, it's not mine. So, um, you know, to, to facilitate QPVI, I think you really, really need to wrap your head around what it means to be a facilitator. Um, you're, not, you're not up there lecturing, you're not doing a workshop, you're not um, um, giving them the information as the end result, it's part of a process for them. It's seeing people come together yeah. to form an identity together um, uh, be, beyond and outside of QPVI, but, but started within yeah. the context of QPVI. That's enormously rewarding to me as an outreach person to have you know, a little part in that. Mm -hmm. If you're in Texas and want to request assistance from outreach to go through the QPVI process, Go to tsbvi.edu slash outreach and select the request a service option. Many thanks to Nancy and Chrissy for sharing about QPVI and for also getting along so well in our studio with siblings you just never know. From the TSBVI Outreach Program and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time.
This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.